Greetings, Gente Puente. In this episode, Chris Corris, Director of Religious Education at St. Anthony Parish in Des Moines, Iowa, tells us about how he has adopted their children's programs as their parish has become a shared parish with a new, large, and growing Hispanic population. Um, but I can't say enough about the catechists that we have. I mean, um, they're just a hardworking group of people. They're the core of the parish, really, when you think about it, because they're doing the work that needs to be done, which is putting, helping the children of the parish come to Jesus and have a relationship with him. And that's their job. And it's amazing because they have all different backgrounds and they may not speak English or they may not speak Spanish. Everybody is on this, this huge work of ministry to these young people that's so important. It's one of the most important ministries you can have in a parish, which is ministering to the youth um, because that's where Jesus wants us to be. And it's, it's so critical that we do it with joy and to see them have that joy. They don't complain. They're just so welcoming and opening. It's, it's a very, it's a real blessing. If you're in a parish that's experiencing a demographic shift like the one at St. Anthony's, I really think you're going to get a lot from today's interview. Also, as you'll hear about in the break and after the interview, Loyola Press is offering a prize pack for a lucky listener of this podcast episode. Uh, first of all, let me say, sorry this episode is so long. I really kept trying to find ways to make it shorter, but I just couldn't bring myself to cut out any of the interview. Uh, the good news is, though, this is a podcast. You can just hit pause and pick right back up whenever you can. Or if you'd rather read the interview, you can find a summary of today's show and all the resources mentioned in the show notes at pattycc.com slash 38. You can also find links to some of our other episodes. For example, you might be interested in incorporating some Hispanic traditions of popular piety into your program. So you could check out episode 23 about a live way of the cross, episode 6 about the Day of the Dead, Episodes 9 through 12 and 15 about traditions in December and January. Si prefieres español, puedes leer un resumen de la entrevista de hoy sobre un programa de formación en la fe para los niños de una parroquia compartida. En las notas del programa en paticc.com diagonal S38. For anyone who's new to the Gente Puente podcast, I'm your host, Patty Gutierrez of Patty's Catholic Corner. Our team serves Catholic ministers like you who want to connect with the Hispanic community. We make your ministry easier by sharing best practices, resources, and encouragement through this Gente Puente podcast and our online community. We can also help you stay focused on your ministry through our Catholic translation services from English to Spanish or Spanish to English. You can get a quote for your next project at pattycc.com services. Before we dive into our interview for today's episode, I want to apologize because once again, time got away from me and it took me way longer than I thought it would to get this episode published. So I'm sorry about that. One of the reasons is because the last few months I've had lots of really great translation projects keeping me busy. Uh, if you'd like to learn about the incredible things that the Jesuits and the Knights of Columbus and the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, the Quinto Encuentro team, and the Claritian missionaries have been working on to reach Hispanic Catholics in their ministries, you can check out the show notes page at pattycc.com slash 38, and I'll give you some more details about the projects that we've been working on. It's been such an honor to be part of them. I'm offering also a one-time discount to anybody listening to this podcast episode that's looking for a translation. So at the end of the interview, I'll come back and I'll share more about that. And the other wonderful reason for the delay is I've been working behind the scenes on moving our online community to a new platform. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, then you know that one of my goals in starting the Gente Puente podcast was to create an online space where ministers can share advice and resources and encouragement. I know how challenging and overwhelming and lonely ministry can be. I don't want ministers to waste their time spinning their wheels or starting from scratch or Googling things that are not on Google. <laughs> I don't want good people getting burned out because they don't have a support system. 
We've had a Facebook group, but it hasn't really been a good platform for building that kind of community. And I think I've found a really incredible platform that's going to help that vision come to fruition. It's going to be called the Gente Puente Cafe. And the plan, God willing, is to open during Easter. So stay tuned after the interview to hear about how you can be a beta tester for the new platform or get on the waiting list. All right, time to get to the interview. Chris is going to share about the different programs that he runs, Children's Liturgy of the Word, Confirmation Preparation for Youth, and Children's Religious Education. He talks about what the programs are like now that the Hispanic community in their parish has grown so much. He shares how he recruits catechists and keeps them engaged. He shares what materials he uses and how he picked them. In the spirit of full disclosure, I need to tell you that after this interview, he actually started consulting with Loyola Press because he has loved their materials so much. Chris has also been a very active member of our Gente Puente Facebook group, is one of our beta testers for the Gente Puente Cafe, and just overall great example of what it means to be Gente Puente in ministry. So I'm super excited to share our interview with you. So here we go. Hello, Chris. Welcome to the Gente Puente podcast. Hello, Patty. It's nice to be able to talk to you. Thank you. I'm going to start us off with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we come before you so grateful for all the many blessings you have given us, especially for the gift of serving in your church. We know we are not perfect, and so we thank you for your mercy and for choosing to work through our broken humanity. Lord Jesus, you prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one. Pour out your Spirit as we strive to be gente puente, building bridges to unite the body of Christ. May the Spirit fill our hearts and enkindle in us the fire of your love. Our Lady of Guadalupe and St. Anthony Mary Claret, pray Pray for for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Chris, I appreciate you taking time to talk to us today. And before we dive in, I would love if you could share with our listeners a little more about you and your background, your vocation, your ministry. Okay. My name is Chris Carice. I'm from Des Moines, Iowa. Um, My background, I am a former Jehovah's Witness. I was a Jehovah's Witness all my life. And about 10 years ago, I met my wife and I converted to Catholicism. Um, since then, um, about five years ago, I decided to go into ministry and went to Mundelheim Seminary. It was brought to us by the diocese and went through a course in lay ministry for two years in Spanish, learning how to help parishes. Um, after that, I went into youth ministry for two years. And about a year and a half ago, I took over my parish as the director of religious education. Um, Pretty Where are you much. from? Where were you born? Oh, okay. I was born in Illinois, so I'm a transplant to Iowa. Um, I've kind of been all around the parish, did a little bit of everything, lecture, Eucharistic minister, just all kinds of different things. Um, mm-hmm. Enjoyed being with the English side of our parish. It's an Italian parish. It's been around for over 100 years, and I really enjoy being with the Hispanic side of the parish with all the growth and the vibrancy. And the challenges that come with it. Mm-hmm. And your wife is Hispanic? Yes, Where my is wife from? is Hispanic. Um, her mother is from Mexico. Patty was born in America. Um, she's a cradle Catholic. I'm very grateful for that. Um, mm-hmm. And always very faithful. She serves as the president of St. Vincent de Paul in the parish. So we both have a lot of um, work that we get to do. She's also been through the lay ministry course. She takes the Eucharist to the homebound. Um, She helps me with pretty much everything I do and is very supportive. Awesome. Thank you. Well, we've got to know each other somewhat through the Gente Puente Facebook group where you're very active. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And today um, you're going to share some strategies that have helped you as a ministry leader in your parish. That's a shared parish. Uh, Can you start off telling us a little more about your parish? It's St. Anthony's in Des Moines, right? Yes, that's right. And can you tell us a little more about the parish and the cultural reality in that area and the changes that you've seen over the past few years? Sure. Um, I've been a parishioner there again for 10 years. And when I first um, started attending at St. Anthony's, 
It has a long history of being an Italian parish. It was founded over 100 years ago um, by Italian immigrants. And over the years, the demographic of the parish has changed. And so now the reality is, is that it's growing. Hispanic community is becoming the largest Hispanic community. Um, the realities for us are trying to work together as a community. And for me in religious ed on how to meet the needs of all the children and the parents in the parish and try to help them so that everybody can grow at the same rate and in the same way. Mm -hmm. What is the breakdown culturally of your parish? Um, I would say it's probably at this point 60-40. I would say Hispanic to English or other. Um, we do have a, a Vietnamese group that also meets on the first Friday. So, and I guess another thing I forgot to mention is that St. Anthony's is well known because we're the only parish in town that has a traditional Latin mass. So we have a very large Latin traditional contingent as well within our parish. And that's okay. another part of a shared parish that you have to think about because yeah. it's not just English, but it's also traditional Latin mass, it's Hispanic. So we really have three groups or more that are, mm -hmm. are in our parish that all need to be um, minister to. And you said that you just started the Spanish Mass five years ago, so that's been quite a big change mm -hmm. in the past five years, no? Yes, we went from 30 to the largest, and we consistently have been the largest. In fact, we're ready for a second Mass. It's gotten so large in our parish. The church is full um, pretty mm -hmm. much everywhere. There's no place to sit. In fact, people sometimes will sit outside of the church to come to Mass. <laughs> And, it's and when you say the largest, you mean in the diocese, in the city? What, um, what do you it's mean the largest at St. Anthony. So it's the largest in our particular parish. Now, we do oh, have several parishes okay. that are yeah. um, that are either wholly Hispanic. Uh, we have Nuestra Señora de las Américas. And then we also have a Mass at Christ the King and at the Basilica of St. John. And we have a Mass at Sacred Heart. So the Hispanic community in Des Moines is growing and it's recognized. Yeah. We're considered, I believe that they say that we've with 30% of the total population at this point, but growing very, very, very rapidly. Wow, interesting. And tell me about the generational demographics um, so, as far as youth mm -hmm. and adults. And sure, adults. so on the Italian side, it's mostly older, um, and that generation is aging out. We do have some younger families on the English side. On the Spanish side, it's mostly young families. It's mostly families in general. Everybody is part of the parish on that side, grandparents, young people. We have a lot of kids. Um, I do a children's liturgy at the one o'clock Spanish mass. And I routinely have 70 kids come downstairs for children's liturgy that we offer um, wow. out of a mass of, I don't know, 300, 350. Okay. Um, so we have a lot of wow. kids. All right, so you as Director of Religious Education are in charge of many programs with children and their parents. Can you kind of give us an overall view mm -hmm. of what those are like and who is it for and your overall vision for those programs? Sure. Um, the easiest one is Children's Liturgy. We offer that at the 11 English Mass and at the 1 p.m. Spanish Mass. Those are parts of the Mass specifically designed for young people. The readings are from the Children's Lectionary. Um, we go what ages? Um, I, I don't cart at the door, so I would say anywhere from five to whoever slips in. Mm, okay. I have parents come down as well that assist because of having so many young people. Um, yeah. it, it's a huge turnout on both sides. Um, it's, a, it's a good thing. We go through the readings. We do a lot of sign language, so we open with a prayer that we sign that says, Dear Jesus, in everything I say and in everything I do, in everything today, may it glorify you. And they sign that and repeat that. And then we sign language, the Apostles' Creed. Um, so we do the Mass readings. We sing the psalm together. We sign language, the Creed. And then they bring up mm. their prayer petitions for the prayer of the faithful. And they have some amazing comments that they make. Little tiny kids make the most profound comments. Um, mm -hmm. And then we give them a children's bulletin. And they go back upstairs through the back of the church. And they're quiet like ninjas. And their parents never knew they were mm -hmm. gone. And it's, that's nice. been a wonderful program for us. I'm sure the parents know that they're they gone. <laughs> but they're supposed to be quiet me, when know. they go back to church. <laughs> yes. Um, what made so, you choose sign language as a part of uh, the, as an element in the program? Um, one thing that I had learned is for um, English and Hispanic speakers, especially for children, children love to gesture 
and children learn better either by singing or by movement. Yeah. And so by doing the movements, any one of the children that attend children's liturgy can, can tell you, they may not be able to recite the creed at their age, but they can certainly sign it. And That's I had fun. watched a YouTube video trying to figure out how do I teach the kids the creed and they're not really old enough to get the full Nicene Creed and then to use yeah. the Apostles Creed works wonderfully and they nice. they do it for their Now parents. I want to see a video of that. I think you need to put mm -hmm. that on YouTube so we can yeah. share it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so that's one of the programs that we offer. And then the other ones that we have, I'm also in charge of confirmation. So for me, thinking about confirmation and, and where the Hispanic and the English students are, my program in confirmation is probably 80-20 with Hispanic youth being the dominant portion of it. So trying to figure out how to reach Hispanic youth where they're at and the journey with them has been another challenge trying to not only reach them, but to catechize them correctly, to teach them the faith and to really encourage them to have a, a relationship with Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. Looking at materials, trying to work with their faith language. So a lot of times in confirmation, we may pray in Spanish, but do the material in English. I offer a bilingual class that's an essentials class so that kids that maybe have not had religious education in the past but are coming for the sacrament can get that material. And I have students that have just recently come from Mexico, so they may not speak English very well at all or read English or what have you. And so the bilingual books helps us to really make sure that that material sinks deep into their heart, that they're getting it and we're not losing them. So that's our mm -hmm. confirmation program. I run those Are you as, the only catechist for confirmation? Do you? I am, and I, I specifically okay. choose that. People ask me if they can teach, and I say no, because you really <laughs> have to journey with them. Um, they get to know me over the course of a year, and, and we have a real deep connection because I'm helping them yeah. walk as disciples of Christ. It's not a class. It's preparation for a sacrament. So as we journey together, I only do classes in sizes of 10 or smaller. So they have to be small groups. We really know each other. They know each other. And we journey together as these individual groups towards the sacrament at the end of the year where they're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so it's not, we've tried classes before of larger amounts and it just becomes a class. And it's not a class. Mm -hmm. Confirmation is very, very important. It's something that you can undo as a sacrament. And we really have to make sure that, that they not only understand it, but they're given the time to grow. It's kind of like putting them into a pot and letting them slow cook mm -hmm. for a year spiritually. And we want to do the best, the best process possible. So I have people that ask and I just say no. And I, I'm just like, nope. because it's such a privilege to walk with them, to see them start <laughs> from one point and then they come to here and they're totally different. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. I had one kid that started off the program that said, well, I don't really pray very much because I don't think God listens to me or I don't, I don't know how he's talking to me. And we cover that over and over and over, being sensitive to hearing God's voice in different ways. And in the 10th month of the 12-year program, he said, I just wanted to tell you all that, you know, I, I said I hadn't been praying, but it really turned around on that. And I'm starting to understand how God is speaking to me. And I'm praying. I'm like, praise God. That's what we're here <laughs> for. It's doing That's it, awesome. you know. And the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. uses his, his tools to get into the hearts of these young people and and that's what it's all about. I throw my heart and soul into that with them. And, and I think it's paying off because God's blessing it. Um, we also do... Real quick, let me oh, ask. Yeah. So when you get to the maximum of 10 students in each group, what do you do? Do you add a group or they need we to add, wait till the next fall? Or um, we, I can take a maximum of 50 because of doing it myself. So usually we don't have many that are over 50. We start registrations in May and start class in September. So but you said you, you only have groups of 10? Only groups time? of 10. So each class, and that's also for diocesan reasons to be able to have, you know, safety and so forth. Um, so you do I, five different groups? I actually teach six this year. So there's five groups for confirmation. And there's one group that's an essentials class. We use Loyola's called to be Catholic as a catch-up class. And then I teach a makeup oh. class every month because they have to attend all 12. Interesting. So some kids will go to two classes a month. Some kids will only go to one depending on if they've had religious education in the past. And there's always a makeup class. And then I do makeup classes from May on. And, you know, all these kids, they just have to have it. But we teach on Wednesday and Thursday nights through the month. And I want to make sure that they have those 12 because they're, they're really essential. But uh, sometimes they just can't make it because of sports or life mm -hmm. or work or what have you. And, and so I do a lot of makeup classes. Kids go to Mexico over the summer. 
They may be gone the whole summer, which means they're missing three classes, but I do whatever it takes to make sure that they've got those because they, they definitely need them. Um, otherwise, some students do have to wait until the next year. Our program is pretty popular at St. Anthony's because we're a one-year program because we expect them to have taken their first year somewhere else or with us, either in eighth grade or in the school as preparation. Um, but then you have a lot of kids, almost half my program this year is students that need that catch-up class, that essentials class, because they haven't had that religious education in the background. So I've been working for the past couple of years to tell parents, please send your children through all the years of religious education because they mm -hmm. need it. They have to have really from kindergarten through eighth grade to really understand their faith because confirmation isn't about teaching them the basics of the faith at its core. It's preparing them to be with the Holy Spirit in that seal of, of confirmation. And so we do do. So some when you do the essentials class, it's in mm -hmm. addition to the twelve normal sessions. Also, yes. They so do we both. do. Okay. Yeah. So I do basically two years in the space of one because gotcha. a normal confirmation program would have that as the first year. And so okay. I want to make sure that I comply with diocesan guidelines and so forth to have two years because they need it. So we catechize them and then we help them with the sacrament. Um, the kids that go to Essentials, they love it. Honestly, I have kids that are done with it and say, can I come back next year? Or you know, <laughs> is there something else I can do? Because it's a fun class. That's good. All right. Sorry. Let's move on then to mm -hmm. the children's religious education. Okay. So the, the RE program that we have, when I first uh, took it over, obviously there was a great need for um, Spanish materials. And we did have some Spanish at the time. But I wanted to look at the program and see where is it at? What does it need? Is it accomplishing what it what it's doing. And I always try to look at my programs, everything I do through the lens of who I'm serving. So if I'm, if I'm doing children's liturgy, I try to think of what would a child, what would they be thinking when I'm teaching them or is this working for them or is it appropriate or what have you. And mm -hmm. so for the religious ed program, I really thought, what are the students at St. Anthony's like? And most of them are bilingual. So we needed something that was bilingual, not just a separate book, but it needed to be in the same book. Um, is it easy to teach for the catechists? Because we need English and Spanish catechists. How quickly can we get them up to speed? How comfortable can we help them to feel as catechists? Um, what are the, the goals of the program? For example, what does it teach? At St. Anthony's, I believe that we need to have a strong emphasis on the saints as part of our daily lives, a strong emphasis on prayer, and a strong emphasis on seeing God wherever he may be present and however he is presenting himself to us. And so I selected a program called Finding God. It's by Loyola Press. We use a lot of materials from Loyola Press in all of our programs across the board because they're generally, well, they're all bilingual. And they all offer excellent uh, guides for catechists, and they have very good tools to get everybody up and running. And so we've switched to Finding God this last year. Um, it offers art, so every class has an art easel from kindergarten through eighth grade. And every week of 25 weeks, they'll learn about a different piece of art. It could be modern, it could be traditional. It could be, we have pictures and, and art prints from all around the world. And these kids learn about art in a sacred way as part of the liturgy. They're all religious works of art. And so they're learning about art. There's music that's in the program. There's video, there's story CDs. Um, kindergarten gets a Jesus doll that they use in their lessons to teach mm -hmm. different things to them. And so I love finding God um, as a program because it's really been helpful with all of those goals and everybody loves it. In fact, I wanted to make sure that the school was on the same page that we were because they had a different program. And I said, you guys really need this. And so we worked with Loyola to get it into the school. So that no matter where you are in the parish, if you're a young person in my program or you're a young person in the school, that you're all learning the same material at the same time and it's all bilingual and we're all moving forward in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're discussing materials, can you go ahead and break down what materials you've chosen mm -hmm. for the other um, okay. levels? Sure. And for children's liturgy, we use the Lectionary for Masses with Children, which is a difficult book to find at times, but it is essential. It has not been uh, revised in some years. by the. Do you have a Spanish version of that? Or and just uh, ironically, there is not a Spanish version available, and yeah, there's not a Spanish that. version available in Mexico. So that's always puzzled me. So... When I do children's liturgy, we do parts of it in, in English, which are the readings, but the prayers we do in Spanish. So when we sign language the creed okay. in the Spanish children's liturgy, we sign language it using Spanish 
as our basis. And we do our opening prayer in Spanish. And so I kind of mix them up, you know, a little bit um, Mm -hmm. to make sure that that we're covering that. So that's the lectionary for that program. We use Finding God, of course, for for the children in our re-across the board. For the Hold parents, on. in we, the uh, children's mm-hmm. liturgy, you mentioned also that you do a handout. Yes, yeah, so um, I have two bulletins that I get. One's from I think the kidsbulletins.com, mm-hmm. and there's another one that we use. One of them is in Spanish, and the other one is in English. And the kids love them. In fact, Patty loves them. She takes them when she takes communion to the homebound. She goes to a nursing home, and they love reading those children's bulletins. Oh. They're colorful and. <laughs> You know, the kids take them because they're for them and they're they're theirs, you know. And so when I go back upstairs and I see everybody in the pews and, and all the kids have their bulletins, it always makes me smile because I'm like, yep. And they're holding on to them, you know. They're not just throwing them around or what have you. Um, they really like them. Sometimes they want extras. But that's mm-hmm. a, a great resource that someone has created on the Internet to help our ministry. And, mm-hmm. and I'm so appreciative because we rely on it every single week that those those individuals and those groups have made that available for us because we definitely need it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for confirmation, we use uh, Call to Be Catholic by Loyola Press, which is the first part of a two-year program for them. Um, it's 10 sessions. And then we use Decision Point by Dynamic Catholic, which is Matthew Kelly's company. Um, Decision Point is a great conversational confirmation program. It's also very affordable. So some of the things that I think of when I pick programs in the parishes how does it, first of all, meet the spiritual needs of the people that I'm serving? What particular lens do I need to look through? I can't pick something that I like. I need to pick something that works well for them with where they're at spiritually, their level. And then how easy is it to obtain? Is it bilingual? Um, is it easy to read if it's in English? And what's the cost? So Dynamic Catholic is very, very affordable. Um, in addition to that, as a parish-wide initiative, I wanted everybody in the parish to be able to have a copy of the Bible. It's very important for families to have Bibles, but it's also important as individuals to have Bibles and to have everybody on the same playing field when you do a Bible study, when you mm-hmm. do a confirmation class. So we go to, I think it's cityofagape.com, and they have Bibles in English and Spanish for $5 each um, mm-hmm. that are hardbound, that are very sturdy and um, good Catholic Bibles. The English one has pictures all over and everybody uses it. So we flood the parish with those Bibles nice. and we make sure as many people as they can um, get those and are able to use them so that when we have do things that people can all be on the same page and not feel left out. Yeah. Um, I think you yeah. mentioned to me that you also have parents receiving formation at the same time mm-hmm. as their children. Can you share a little bit about mm-hmm. what that program is like and if there's any materials that you use specifically for that? Mm-hmm. Sure. So when I had first uh, started as DRE, Monsignor said, well, I like having parent meetings um, before they, the kids go off, you know, have a meeting with the parents. And I'm like, okay, well, what would that look like? I had no idea what I was going to do there. I thought, am I going to talk about a topic or how could I make this? work for me and to make it easy. So I had noticed that Loyola Press has a series of books. Um, they use it as part of RCA, which we use in the parish, again, uh, along with the English and the Spanish RCA groups to help them prepare to come into the church. We use, um, oh, let's see, A Well-Built Faith, which is Una Fe Bien Consolida. We use Viviendo Los Sacramentos, Living the Sacraments, uh, Practicas el Católico. I don't think that's available in Spanish yet. Um, Los Planos de Guía de la Biblia. We use the Bible blueprint. And so I had started last year and said, well, let's let's go through a well-built faith, which is the basics of the catechist or the catechism from Loyola. And let's see if parents will attend this. And I said, well, I, we had another cate- catechist, Juanita, who's been very, very um, faithful over the years. She's been a catechist for over 30 years. And I said, would you help me teach this? Would you teach the Spanish while I teach the English? She said, sure. So that while the, while the kids are in religious ed, we do our religious ed Sunday mornings from 9.15 to 10.45 so that they would have somewhere to, to be, to form community, so that we could help them as parents, give them support, because the kids are off learning and then the parents, what's going on? And many of the parents haven't had any catechesis since they were young. Mm-hmm. So we started with a well-built faith last year. 
and it was very well attended. We had 70 parents consistently all year round out of a program of 160 students. And we would have 60 students or 60 parents in the English every single week. I kept popping in to see if, you know, has it gone down or what have you. But nope, it kept right on going. And I had 10 parents in the English and getting to know them was a real delight to get to know them. So did you mean, issues. sorry, you said 60 mm-hmm. in this English, but you mean 60 in the Spanish and 10 in the English? 60 in the Spanish, I'm sorry, 50, yes, and 10 gotcha. in the English. Gotcha. And that does reflect kind of where we're at as a parish, so I would yeah. expect more um, to be interested on the Spanish side. But it was very well attended, and I got to know my parents on the English side. I, got, I would pop into the Spanish side and get to know the people there. Um, it was a great time. Everybody learned. They were all excited and happy. Um, our parish is really good about um, groups. We have a prayer group in Spanish. We have a crecimiento group. We have a group for women. I, we just have so many things going on in our parish all the time. But sometimes the parents can't get to things because they're busy. And so if they're going to be there on a Sunday, um, having this class just for them to look at material through their eyes was great, helping to support them as parents and trying to to figure that out. We're going to start a new series this fall. We're going to do the Bible Blueprint, Living the Sacraments. But in addition to those classes on Sunday, I'm opening it up on twice a month on Mondays now because I had catechists who came to me and said, well, we can't go to your class because Mm -hmm. we're teaching. Right. And what would you do for us? As well as uh, parents from the school that said, well, our kids aren't in RE. We would like to be part of this too. So we're starting two classes a month to help the parents um, to really grow in their faith and to support them as parents, which is mm-hmm. a, a distinction because we need to support them as people, but also as parents, because being a parent is a difficult job raising children in the Amen, faith and brother. trying to make their own faith. <laughs> yes. Well, as you can tell, Chris is a big fan of Loyola Press's materials. I have found them super helpful in my ministry too. So we reached out to let them know we were doing this episode and they offered a prize pack for a lucky listener of this episode. So if you'd like to be entered into the drawing, just head over to the show notes at pattycc.com slash 38 and you'll find a form to fill out there and we'll enter you in the drawing. It will happen on April 12th, 2020, which is Easter Sunday. I'll also email you a coupon code that you can use for a discount to order any of the books in the Toolbox series of From Loyola Press. The drawing again is Easter Sunday, April 12th, 2020, so make sure to go enter the drawing before then. If you're listening to this episode after Easter 2020, come visit the show notes to see if there are any ongoing deals. Now, back to my interview with Chris. Well, as we're talking about catechists and their engagement, I want to hear from you a little bit about what do you provide or what kind of formation do you provide to your catechists? And do you have any tips for people who are having trouble with recruiting catechists or engaging their catechists? It sounds like you have very committed and engaged catechists. So tell us a little about that. I do. Um, This year. So last year I was a little nervous because we teach um, English and Spanish in religious ed from kindergarten through fourth grade. And then we teach only English from fifth through eighth, but the the material is all bilingual. And so Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how could we teach the whole catechist body on the same time at the same, on the same plan and not use different materials and move forward and trying to really help and train them was a a real challenge for me. And I, I prayed a lot about it, about what should we use, you know, Lord, what do we, how do we help all them? This year we have 29 catechists for our group, which is, an increase wow. of, I think, 10 over last year. Um, we have catechists that are young. We have catechists that are older. We have ones that are going through confirmation that are teaching. And how do we meet that need? So I looked at Loyola materials again because they're bilingual and they're very easy to use. And we're using the catechist toolbox um, this year. So the diocese wants uh, certain hours of training to make sure that they know what they're doing and so forth. So I would do catechist training with them over the summer. We did 14 hours over seven sessions, and we would go through the catechist toolbox, and we would teach three lessons each time we'd we'd go through, as well as helping them in the catechist guide on uh, finding God so that they knew how to use use the book, how to use the program, how to use the website, and so forth. 
So the interesting thing that I thought about, and I think the Holy Spirit led on this one, is is having them learn how to teach as they're learning. So I would teach two lessons, and then one of the new catechists would teach the other. And so as they would learn, and then they would teach, and they all became very proficient over the summer and not had any fear. Most times when we do catechists, you know, when you ask somebody to be a catechist, it's usually at the last minute, I need to fill a hole. I have Mm -hmm. a class that needs to be taught. Here's a book, off you go. Call me if you need anything. And then catechists teach for a year and they get burnt out because they don't know what's going on or we haven't prepared them properly. And I just thought, I really would like to have a catechist group that stays together mm-hmm. in English and Spanish. And so we did trainings through the diocese for the Spanish catechists. I did training um, in the parish for the English catechists. We all meet together. We have several times a year that we come together. We plan our calendar together, trying to form a more group of people and let them make decisions. I make a decision about the program and what we teach and so forth. But getting as much of their input and community as possible really helps you maintain catechists because yeah. when they're part of a group, they are with it. They We're a team. These guys are amazing. I mean, they're like <laughs> my dream team. I tell them all the time, you guys are the dream team, all you catechists. You're amazing. I mean, they're they're happy and they're joyful and they love working with the young people and they're there um, all the time. This year we have two substitute catechists. We've never had substitute catechists available before. So if somebody is sick or somebody is going on vacation, another thing about being a catechist is you devote your year for that. And so there's no time for, I have an appointment or my kids need something or anything that happens, you have Mm -hmm. to be there right? because you're critical. And so now having that flexibility has been very, um, it's a, a welcome addition to our program. It's a real blessing. Um, but I can't say enough about the catechists that we have. I mean, um, they're just a hardworking group of people. They're the core of the parish, really, when you think about it, because they're doing the work that needs to be done, which is putting, helping the children of the parish come to Jesus and have a relationship with him. And that's their job. And it's amazing because they have all different backgrounds and they may not speak English or they may not speak Spanish. Everybody is on this, this huge work of ministry mm-hmm. to these young people that's so important. It's one of the most important ministries you can have in a parish, which is ministering to the youth, um, because that's where Jesus wants us to be. And it's, it's so critical that we do it with joy and to see them have that joy. They don't complain. They're just so welcoming and opening. It's it's a very, it's a real blessing. And to read crew catechists, so that would be the other thing. So I have a column that I write in the bulletin every two weeks, and I have a story around this one. Um, you know, at the end of the year, you have catechists that will age off or will leave. You know, they might be ready for a change, or they may have been doing it for several years. And so you always will have some that you need to replace. Um, so at the end of a year, you, you look at who you have and then you really start to sweat because you know, by the fall, you're going to need X amount of people. And you just have to trust that God, first of all, will provide that because this is God's work, no matter what, he is not Mm going to let it fail. In fact, Jesus said, I could make the stones talk if I wanted to. And we're (laughs) thankful that Jesus uses us instead of the stones, although talking stones might be really cool, but he says, I want to, I choose you. And so knowing that God is going to choose your catechist for you is a great, relief to know that it's in his hands he's got your back the holy spirit will never let your ministry fail no matter where it is or no matter if it's struggling or not in the long run the holy spirit it's his job to make sure that that your parish is successful as best as it can be so knowing that up front is a good is a good comfort to me and then making that personal attempt to people through like a bulletin column to say you know we need you we need your yes and then making personal invitations and then just continue to pray. We had two catechists that came up last month that said, or last week that said we would like to be catechists just out of the blue. The Holy Spirit brings them forward. Mm-hmm. Um, be sensitive to either recruiting them or letting them step up or in whatever way possible to make it known what the needs of the parish are. I think that's the biggest thing is communication, that there is a need, and then mm-hmm. making a personal attempt to people. A lot of times people don't think they can be a catechist. Show them your materials, show them how easy it is, offer to walk with them, to train them, to be there with them every step of the way, and you will have a good good group of catechists. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I have a few logistic questions there. So if mm -hmm. someone, like in this case, two people came last week, but your program has already started, how do you involve them right away? Do you provide formation mm -hmm. again, or do you just have mm -hmm. them kind of mentor with another I'll person? I'll do whatever do it takes. Yeah. yeah, I'll do whatever it takes. I mean, really, I mean, whatever. And that's kind of the whole rule in ministry as a rule. We have to be able to say, I'll do whatever it takes. So if I have the two that step forward, I have one that I'm going to be working with on Saturday. I'm going to show her the program. I'm going to show her how to use the catechist guide. I'm going to give her a copy of the catechist toolbox and maybe suggest a couple of chapters. And then I'm going to put her with an experienced catechist so that she kind of gets a feel of how it works. And then after the first couple of weeks, I'll see where she's at. And you have to touch base with all of your catechists and say, where are you at? What can I do for you? Um, I have another one that's already a student teacher, so I don't think I'll have any issues with that. Mm -hmm. But if they want to join and whenever they want to come, that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, we should be welcoming at every point. If they're volunteering, um, then I would say, let's go. We'll, we'll take you. We'll help you. Um, mm -hmm. This depends on what their particular needs are. But getting to know them is the key. You have to really know them to know what they need. And that's, that's something you have to actually spend some time with them. Yeah. For. Now, how do you break down the classes? You said that you have uh, English and Spanish options mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. to fourth grade. So I want to hear how do you separate? Do you separate them and or how yes. do you mm -hmm. handle the different languages? And then secondly, why did you choose up until fourth grade and then switching to only English? Can you kind of talk me through that too? Mm -hmm. Sure. So um, we separate them so that they can have a pure experience in the language that the parents have chosen. One of the pluses about our program is that we do teach in Spanish. Many of the other parishes do not. So having Spanish catechists that are willing to teach in Spanish is a plus. And to be quite frank with you, some of our catechists only speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. And we want them to be useful. And they want right. to be used in their ministry. So we want to make sure that they are appreciated. And we want them to be able to teach in whatever language that they feel comfortable with. So there's a variety of factors there. Um, because of the class sizes and so forth, sometimes we may have to split a class depending on how many individuals are in each class from year to year. It changes. Last year, we only had five sixth graders. This year, we have 35. It, you just Whoa. never know what you're going to get or who's going to come, yeah. you know, from, from wherever. Um, we do our sacraments in one year at St. Anthony's for First Communion. We do the sacrament within the same year that they come to religious ed. So we have people that come from all over to join our parish so that they can um, they can be a part of that. And so, you know, it just depends on on what we've got. We made the decision to go up to fourth grade primarily because of where we're at in numbers and how many catechists we can get. Even though okay. we have almost 30 catechists, to be able to add English classes would require, ooh, what, four more, four more catechists. So if I could expand it, for sure. Do you mean to be able to offer them in Spanish? Because you said yes. it's English only mm -hmm. after fourth grade, right? English only after fourth grade. Okay, and so just a, a need for more Spanish-speaking catechists. Yes, if we had more okay, Spanish cate uh, Spanish-speaking catechists, I would offer more classes. That would be no problem. And it's very interesting because the catechists that I have that speak Spanish, the majority are not from our parish. They have come huh. from around town because either the time of our program is on a Sunday versus a Wednesday or because they really feel called to try to help. Um, mm -hmm. Our community as a, as a city is pretty welcoming and they're, they work fairly well together between parishes. People are always willing to help you. That's great. And it, it's amazing. I mean, our parish is not big enough yet. Even though we're the largest mass in the parish, we don't have enough of a ministry pool of people that would be available to help me teach on Sundays at this point. Um, but I'm mm -hmm. always welcome for expansion. And then the other problem would be is then we use the, the school that's attached to the parish. And then what do we do when we run out of classrooms? So yeah. that would be another factor, but I'm willing to work with whatever, whatever happens. You know, if the Holy Spirit says, do this, we'll, we'll do it. <laughs> we just have to figure out how to get there. But for now it helps because then by the, the time they get to eighth grade, we do confirmation in ninth, starts in ninth and ends in 10th. So they have a couple of years of English background underneath them. Um, most of the children are pretty fluent in English, I would say, by fifth grade as a rule. And so that seems to be a good stopping point. Um, but we're willing to do whatever it takes to service the, you know, to minister to the needs of, of who we have. So mm -hmm. it's always something to consider. Every year I look at everything and say, what needs to change? 
you know, God, are you leading us in a different direction? Where, where do you want us to go? Yeah. So I have a question. I want you to kind of step back to before you um, had this program that you've established, were there separate Spanish classes, catechesis already happening, or was that a whole new thing? I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. I don't know if we had all Spanish classes. So when you started as DRE, mm -hmm. you automatically knew there was going to be English and Spanish, and you started that yes. kind of from scratch. Yes, I've never had any hesitation about that. I mean, yeah. to me, as a DRE and as a parishioner, everything in our parish needs to be bilingual all the time. So from flyers to bulletins to things that we offer to ministry you know, opportunities, everything should always be as bilingual as possible. And so that was my first thought is, is how do we make it all bilingual? Because it should be bilingual across the board. And then yeah. our parish school is also a Spanish immersion school. Oh, so then okay. trying to figure out how to work all that in to make it all fit was also kind of important to me. Yeah. So was there already a well-established English catechesis program before you started? Yes. So, okay. and it had aged in and out. So many of our catechists um, had been teaching for many, many years, many, many years, and very faithful in what they did. And so we had a program as anytime you have a change where people decide, well, it's time for me to move on or to try something else. And so we had a pool of older catechists that had decided to move on to something different. And then trying to really figure out how we could bring a lot more youth into the program and a lot more Hispanic youth into the program. I have, uh, let's see, four four or five Hispanic youth that are teaching this year um, that are fully trained. So nice. trying to, you know, bring that into the program is a good sign, more youth into the program. Um, yeah. Those have been some of my goals. So if there is a DRE listening uh, in a parish where there has been an increase in the recent years of more Hispanic community and they're starting to feel that pull tug of the Holy Spirit to build a more integrated program or maybe there are two separate programs and they want to start finding ways to integrate little by little or at least make their program a little more welcoming for other cultures kind of step back to what that was like at the beginning for you and the discernment that you went through do you have any advice for them things that you learned along the way that you would suggest for someone just maybe starting out um for sure i would say First of all, I would identify what the goals of your program are, regardless of language, and then look at the lens of who you're serving, where they're at, what their needs are. And then I would investigate several different programs. I would ask around. There's good groups on Facebook um, for DREs. Find another DRE that's in a close-by parish and just give them a call, introduce yourself, and say, hey, I'm just starting out. You know, Do you have any advice for me? Um, companies will always send you samples. So for a while it was like Christmas in the office because everybody kept sending me something to look at and <laughs> something to try out. I loved it. I got like so many free Bibles and I'm like, woohoo, this is great. I could do this all day. And then just really pray about it. I mean, the biggest thing is ask the Holy Spirit, what does he want? What does he want for your parish? Because he knows you just have to figure out what he's trying to tell you. And so I would pray over certain materials and say, you know, is this what you want? And as I go from once to once to once, um, it was apparent for the one that we chose, which was Finding God from Loyola. But Loyola offers different programs as well. And they have just English if you want. So sometimes um, parishes that are already using Loyola materials in just English can switch to a bilingual one. And it's very easy. And there's not much transition at all. And they can do it at whatever level they feel like. But I think that it's good to find something for your community. So I've noticed that sometimes RE materials might be bilingual, but they don't have a flavor that would appeal to a Hispanic child, for example. And I think that's really important to really look through the materials and say, you know, what do you see here? If you were a Hispanic child, how would you react to it? it just putting it in Spanish isn't the necessary thing. It really needs to reach their heart. So besides choosing the material, what other aspects of the program do you feel like you've adapted depending on the needs of the people that you're serving? Um, really, I think that the main needs that we had was for the parents and trying to figure out what they needed. 
Um, especially for catechists too, I would say, what do the catechists need? Um, trying to figure out how to best serve them, help get them up to speed, get them trained and prepared. And really it's training for parents too. How do we get the parents up to speed spiritually? Um, how do we help train them? Um, how can we make them feel welcome? And how can we make everybody feel welcome in our programs is a real, real big need to take that step back and, and really look at, at everything that we do and how are we, how are we bringing them to Jesus? How are they coming to Christ? And what is our place in that? And that's a, a big part is, is finding out what our role is and trying to discern, you know, what changes need to be made and, and so forth. And really just trying to take a look at your parish and see what's your composition, what's its makeup. And what are its mm -hmm. needs? A lot of times as DREs, we pick stuff that we like <laughs> we or programs or times or everything. We say, well, I, I don't want to teach on Sundays. I want to have it on Wednesdays. But maybe your, your population that you're serving is better served on Sundays. Our population is. They, they like Sundays, even though our mass is later at one. They like that Sunday mornings. They have a, they have a real affinity for that. And so we have to put ourselves in the back. And we have to always look at our, our communities that we're serving. Mm -hmm. How would you say that your, your faith formation program has affected the parish as a whole? Oh, it's amazing. I mean, um, I think in the biggest way is seeing it in the daily lives of the kids. I go to birthday parties. I go to quinceañeras. I go to all these different um, events with the community to be part of the community, to be plugged into the community. And when I see the kids there and they know me and they talk about what they've learned in religious ed or they brought something home to their parents or, you know, I have parents that come up to me all the time that say, my kid was, you know, in religious ed or my kid came to children's liturgy or I have a son in confirmation and they told me about this. And I'm like, oh, whenever somebody <laughs> tells you as a young person to a parent, that's a good sign. You know, you know that mm -hmm. things are working and, and the parents are like, oh, I'm interested. And I'm like, oh, then that's working too, you know. <laughs> Um, everything that we can do to stir up more uh, interest in the gospel, you know, to help all of us really get involved in our faith and try to take it out to the world and what can we do with it. Now we know that's what it, it's doing its job because that's all of these programs have a goal, which is to help bring us to Jesus and then to bring the gospel to the world. Um, I have a saying that a family on the move becomes a parish on the move and a parish on the move brings the gospel to the world. And that's really what we want to do through everything that we do. So we know that it's successful, but when you have a kid that comes up to you and they know you, I, I interface with probably 600 students in the parish, either through the school or through the religious ed program. And I, I don't wow. even know how many parents, but they know me as the face of the parish. And when they come up to me and they like to talk about what's happening, then I, it makes me very happy to know that that's successful because they want to discuss it. They're, they're really engaged. And it's a real blessing because religious ed is a huge thing in our parish. It is one of the top things. Um, I had a booth this weekend at the parish festival. We signed up families and we signed up people for religious ed. And, you know, we brought new people into our, into our parish that, that wanted to come and be with us. And it's just so amazing to see this excitement. Um, I love working in religious ed because it's, it's a fun thing to do and it's a real growth. And you see how the gospel is really moving in a parish through education of parents and children and, and really all of us. Thank you, Chris. I know this will be very inspiring for many parish ministers. Uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, you are a very active gente puente. You know what, the, what we mean by yes. that, that we're trying to mm -hmm. create a community and an encouraging space that we can support each other. So I want to ask you, what kind of thing, what's something that you could share with other ministers that you learned about being a leader in ministry yourself? Um, I think the first thing is, is, to rely on the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we pray to Jesus and Jesus loves to hear our prayers, but the Holy Spirit, he's the person of the Trinity that wants to lead and guide us. And so to be a leader in ministry, it means that you have to be led by the Spirit and it takes some time to understand what that means and how it feels. It really takes discernment to be able to allow him to lead you. Um, St. Teresa of Calcutta says, I'm a little pencil in the hand of God. And to not make ourselves feel so important, but it's really God's work. So I think the first advice I would give to ministers is to really focus on um, the work at hand is God's work. We're privileged to be a part of it, but it's His work. 
and he will do it how he wants. We have to be receptive to what he's telling us. And also, too, to um, not give up. It's challenging to do all of these different things in a parish, but we have to push those through those challenges, and we have to constant rely on God um, because we can't do it on our own. We really can't. There's no way that we could do this type of educational work for so many people for so much of a time in so many different ways without realizing that, that it's God's work that he has to support us for us to be successful. And two, having a good support system is very important, not just in ministry of your peers in religious education, so your catechists, you know, getting to know them and so forth, but having good relationships with the whole community um, because everybody has to support each other as Catholics. And so realizing that you can't do it by yourself. There's a lot of times where you just can't get to everything and there's no way you can. And you have to be humble enough to admit, to say, I can't manage this on my own. You know, could somebody help me or would you feel comfortable walking with me or, or, or could you um, spend some of your time with me to just encourage me to just realize that we can't do it by ourselves. Great advice. Thank you. Could you close us with a prayer for all those who serve the church, please? For sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for the time that you've given Patty and I to spend today to really discuss the blessings and the joys that we have as part of your church to minister to the youth and the parents that we're able to serve. We ask, please, that you bless all the ministers that are listening to this podcast help encourage them and stimulate them to continue to think about the privilege that they have to bring the gospel to these young people and to the parents and help us to have the stimulus that we need to not only continue on in the ministry, but to thrive in it and have joy in it and to really let it permeate every part of our being as we all walk together towards heaven. We thank you so much for the blessings that you give to us every day, but the most important blessing of getting to know you as a person in helping us to walk in a daily relationship with you. May you help us to treasure these days that we have as Catholics and to always reflect on the privilege of being part of your church. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris, so much for taking the time and for being open to the Spirit and His leading in your ministry and then sharing that with us. It's been very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. glad I was finally able to share this interview with you. Wasn't it great? Here are some of my takeaways. Number one, flexibility and adaptation. That was like the overarching theme of what I heard throughout this interview. Meeting people where they are and creating programs or adapting programs that fit that, not our own schedules or our own preferences. Number two, choosing the right materials. Chris emphasized taking a good look at who you are trying to serve and where they're coming from. Then take a look at the options that are out there. Ask for samples from the publishers and go through them considering your local needs. Don't forget, Loyola Press is offering a prize pack for a lucky listener of some of their bilingual material. Just visit the show notes page to sign up at pattycc.com slash 38. Be sure to do it before Easter Sunday April 12th, 2020, because that's the day I will pick a winner. All those that sign up will also be sent a coupon code by email for ordering any of the books in the Toolbox series from Loyola Press. If you're listening to this episode after Easter, just check out the show notes page to see if there's any ongoing offers. Number three, offer something for parents. Church teaching emphasizes the primary role of parents informing their children in the faith. And the parish programs are meant to support that. By offering faith formation for parents at the same time, and then at another time for catechists like Chris is doing, really helps to strengthen the parents' ability to form their children in the faith. Number four, form and support your catechists. My experience was just like what Chris described, which usually leads to losing catechists. When I started as a catechist, I had really no training and it was hard to stick with it. And then when I was a parish leader, I think my catechists often felt they didn't have the right preparation or support, and it was hard to keep them. 
but it seems like Chris's personalized approach, as well as creating a feeling of community and involvement in the planning, is really paying off. Five, make your programs more accessible. Chris said, everything in our parish needs to be bilingual all the time. Flyers, bulletins, programs. So he really pays attention to trying to make everything accessible to all to those both language groups. This is where I would encourage you to get help if you need it. My team is passionate about helping ministers have more time and energy to focus on their actual ministry by letting us handle their translations. So if you need help translating your registration paperwork or other program materials, we want to help. Just shoot me an email at patty at pattycc.com, or you can go to pattycc.com slash services to get a quote. Just mention this episode and we'll give you 20% off your first project, no matter how big it is. And most importantly, Chris reminded us to rely on God, that it's really his work that we're doing and without him, we could do none of it. And he explained the importance of finding support. If you have felt isolated, discouraged, overwhelmed, if you're starting to get burned out or you feel like you're spinning your wheels, or if you'd like to offer a hand to those who feel this way, then come join us in the Gente Puente Cafe. Let me tell you a little bit more about what I'm creating. The Gente Puente Virtual Café is an online gathering space where Catholic leaders like you can together become confident and effective bridge builders, Gente Puente, to reach the Hispanic community in their ministries. We do this together by sharing resources, telling about our experiences, and encouraging each other. Through this community, we can feel supported and avoid burnout. We can welcome, serve, and empower Hispanic Catholics, and ultimately, we can live out our call to unite the body of Christ. Maybe you can tell, but I'm super passionate about being Gente Puente and creating lots more Gente Puente around the country. If you've never heard my story about how I got into Hispanic ministry or why I started this podcast, you can check out the intro episodes or the anniversary episodes, which was number 34 to hear more about that. But also on episode 14, which was called Holistic Well-Being for Ministers, and in my blog post, which is called Why Can't You Just Say No? (laughs) I shared some about my struggles in ministry too, and how I was not taking care of myself, and it was really affecting my ministry. But I also share about how I found a group of fellow ministers with whom I could be vulnerable and share my challenges and bounce ideas around, and everything really changed for me after that. That's why I'm so excited that I found this new platform where I feel like we can really create that in a virtual way for those that don't have local support networks that they can tap into. In the cafe, we will have private rooms for small groups to match you up with just a few other ministers in similar ministry areas where you can meet together through Zoom on a regular basis and also have a private chat area for between meetings. Then there are larger groups for specific ministry areas with a place to share resources or ask questions under different topics. Like, for example, for children's faith formation, there's topics like children's liturgy, sacramental preparation, catechist formation, etc. Then there's a more general area where all ministers can share together about topics that we may all be struggling with, like language and culture and a place for sharing general ministry resources or ministry challenges. There's even places to hold virtual events, find members near you, and a private chat between members. Can you see why I'm super excited about this? (laughs) If any of that sounds like something you want to be part of, please visit the show notes at pattycc.com slash 38 to get on the waiting list. I'll let you know as soon as our virtual rooms open up for your ministry area. I'm going to open first for leaders of children's faith formation programs in parishes, hence the reason why I'm announcing it in this episode. So if that's you, if you lead a faith formation program for children and you're listening to this episode before or during Lent 2020, I'd love for you to sign up to be a beta tester 
And guess what? Beta testers get in free. (laughs) Just fill out the form in the show notes and I'll be in touch. But don't worry, we'll be expanding the groups soon too. Like I said, I'm planning to open up during Easter of 2020. So be sure to sign up for the waitlist on the show notes page or shoot me an email at patty at pattycc.com so I can be sure to let you know when it opens. Whichever ministry area shows the most interest will be the one that I'll work on next. So be sure to spread the word among your colleagues. Remember, the Gente Puente Cafe is specifically for Catholic leaders who want to reach Hispanic Catholics in their ministries. And they're looking for support, encouragement, and resources. They want to bounce ideas around. They want to work through challenges and things like that. Some other groups that I'm expecting to include in the future will be music and liturgy leaders, youth and young adult ministers, adult faith formation, general parish leaders, uh, diocesan leaders, etc. So go sign up for the waitlist today and tell your friends. Okay, maybe I'm getting a little carried away here. Sorry. This is probably our longest podcast episode yet, but I hope you found it super helpful and that you'll join me in the Gente Puente Cafe. Don't forget you can find all the resources we mentioned in today's episode and a summary of the show at pattycc.com slash 38, or there is a Spanish version, pattycc.com slash s38. Don't forget to subscribe to the Gente Puente podcast in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening today. May God bless you and your ministry as Gente Puente. Gente Puente.